of verse 5. We've been looking at those things wherein the Lord says there's happiness and blessing to be found. And I've sought already to impart the truth to you that these are all characteristics of the believer. They're the graces of God's Spirit that ought to be found within. They stand out as the very opposite to what the world would consider as being blessed. Poverty of spirit, mourning of soul instead of uh, merriment. And you know as we come to the third one, uh, there's no difference here either because he says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Men and women, we live in a world tonight that worships power and rejects any evidence of weakness. The ladder of success. In this world, is climbed with heavy steps. There's no place for timidity or that timid spur, if you like. But here is one of those words which is vastly misunderstood. It would be the common opinion that to have meekness is to have weakness. A meek man is surely to be trampled on into the ground by the worldly wise. However, Meekness is not weakness. It's power under control. Want you to remember that? It's power under control. Nobody, nobody could accuse Moses of being a weak man. Yet God was to identify him as one of the most meekest men on the face of the earth. And you have that in, in Numbers chapter 12. But the greater example, of course, is of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. In Matthew chapter 11, he says, For I am meek and lowly in heart. Christ wasn't weak, but he's meek. But what the Lord meant when he said these words is something totally different to that which the world might perceive it to mean today. And so therefore, it is our desire that we might give it a closer look and to search our own hearts, to see if this is a grace which is developing in our spiritual walk with God. I think we need to do what we need to do at the very start here is just give consideration to the meaning of the word. The Savior used the word meek. He was not implying weakness. Indeed, it is one who is strong in the Lord, enduring patience, enduring firmness against every affliction that may be thrown against them. And they're able to do that because their eyes are fixed upon the author and the finisher of their faith, even the Lord Jesus Christ himself. You know, men, when we have, we've been given the ability to be angry, nowhere does the Bible honor the spineless person who is unwilling or even unable to exercise a right kind of anger. And you might say, well, I don't know where you're going with this. I need to, 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 to see what you mean by that. Well, you think of Ephesians chapter 4. In the words of verse 26. So I've said to you that we've been given the ability to be angry. It's part of our nature. You look at verse 26 of Ephesians. Paul's writing to the believers, of course. He says, be ye angry and sin not. So there is a wrong kind of anger, yes. But he's exhorting them, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down 
upon your wrath. That's what Moses displayed when he came down from the mount having met with God and he saw the idolatry of the people of Israel below as they worshipped the golden calf. There was a righteous anger. He was angry yet he didn't sin. He broke the the tables of, of the law and God never rebuked him when he came up the next time to have them again. That's the sort of illustration that Ephesians 4 and 26 is or even a better one is the saviour remember the saviour both at the start and at the end towards the end of his ministry he went into the temple and what did he do he drove out the money changers and the Lord didn't sin but he was angry at what he saw to be in the temple the place of worship my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations We ought to be angry at what God is angry at. It's a word, I'm talking about meek here, it's a word which was in common usage in the Saviour's time. And just to give you uh, some avenues where that word would be found, it would be used by the doctor. It was used of a medicine to soothe a fever or to relieve a high temperature. It was used... By the doctor, he prescribed it to calm down the patient. Or the sailor would have used it. And the sailor used such a word to describe a nice breeze. And the farmer used it. And probably this is the one where we're getting closer to here. I don't know whether there's any any doctors in the house or not. Or whether there's any sailors in the house. We're a bit far from the water. But we maybe have a farmer or two. And men and women, the farmer used this word to describe a coat that was broken. And you know, understand what I mean by that. A young horse has to be broken. If it is going to be of use on the farm. And so it takes that train. I watch my son... Uh, training the foal from its new age to, to obey it, to obey, obey him, walk beside him. Because he's hoping that that foal he can take to the show uh, given his right age. And it's the same with any young horse with a colt. It, it has to be broken. And essentially what the, that means is its power is channeled into constructive work. And each of those examples have one thing in common. It's power, but it's power that is under control. That's meekness. The defining of this word basically means our attitude toward God and consequently toward men as well, especially under pressure, seen in the life, which displays an acceptance of God's dealings with us without bitterness or without any complaint. Now that's not something that we possess in and of ourselves. The natural man will be prone to react in a totally different manner. He'll be prone to rebel and like Saul to kick against the pricks. You know of course Romans 8 and verse 7 reminds us that the carnal mind is enmity against God. And so when we have meekness or we see meekness displayed in any life, You can be sure that it is not a man to have such a spirit, but rather it is that which has been given by God. And so you have that in Galatians 
uh, chapter 5, where is enumerated the fruit of the Spirit. And although there are various ones, yet I've said to you it's the fruit, not fruits. It's all one fruit. Here's the fruit of the Spirit, verse 22, Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Meekness is patience and the reception of injury. It's neither meanness, it's neither, not, not, neither is it a surrender of our rights. No, it certainly isn't cowardice. But it's the opposite of sudden anger, of malice, or of a long-harbored vengeance. Christ was the very model of meekness. Paul was the same. And you think of uh, how Paul endured many things in the furtherance of the gospel, and yet he did it patiently. Meekness is the reception of injury with the belief that God will vindicate us. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. Romans chapter 12 and verse 19. It's not for us to take his place. It's not for us to do what is his right to do and what he has promised to do. Meekness is that which comes from a heart too great to be moved by little insults. It looks upon those who offer those insults and pity. And it was in the spirit of meekness that we were to first receive the word of God to our souls. You see, it's the work of the Holy Spirit to open our heart and in turn to receive that word and the plan of God's salvation. Isn't that what James brings out? For James 1 and verse 21 tells us, he says, Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and sufflerity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save our souls. That's how you and I receive the word of the gospel. As I said, not something that we possess of ourselves, but something that God gives. And it is in that spirit that Cornelius was to receive uh, Peter into his house. Acts chapter 10 and verse 33. He says, it says there, Immediately, therefore I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now therefore, this is Cornelius speaking, Now therefore are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. His heart was prepared not only to receive the word, but also to do whatever God commanded him to do. He was prepared to take God upon his terms. And he's a Gentile. No matter what it cost him, no matter what he had to give up, he only desired to experience God's salvation. That's meekness. That's how he received the word that day. If I can give you a contrast to that, King Saul in the Old Testament, King Saul didn't display meekness. For when the word of God came to him via Samuel, if you turn back to 1 Samuel 13, <clears throat> you will see what, what, what I'm, I'm bringing out to you. When he was to receive that word via God's prophet, he sought to argue against it. He sought to excuse himself. First Samuel 13 and 11. And Samuel said, What hast thou done? 
Saul said, because I saw that the people were scattered from me and that thou camest not within the days appointed. No patience, you see. And that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash. Therefore, said I, the Philistines will come down upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself therefore and offered a burnt offering. He disobeyed the Lord. Look at chapter 15, verse 1. Samuel also said unto Samuel, this is another chance for him to show obedience. The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Verse 3. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not. For slay, both slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. Turn over to verse 21. But the people took of the spoil. Here again, Saul comes to him. And Saul hears the bleeding of the sheep. And Saul starts to argue against God's prophet. He says, but the, the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things, which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And there you have it, Samuel's great word says to him in that next verse, Saul, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. You see, Saul hadn't got a meek spirit. He sought to argue. He sought to defend himself. He pointed the finger at the people. Contrast that with David, King David. For when Nathan came at God's bidding again, God's prophet And he pointed the finger after his little parable about the lamb. He says, thou art the man. King David could have been angry. King David could have rose in anger and and slew him. He was the king. You see, David was a meek man. And he received the engrafted word with meekness, without argument. But instead he says, I have sinned against the Lord. Both men had power, but only David had power under control. When he had opportunity in the cave to take Saul's life, he had power under control there too. He wouldn't take his life, wouldn't even permit his men to do it. It is the spirit that Samuel had as a child, speak for thy servant heareth. It indicates a heart, a life which is open to what God's word says and to what God commands us to do. And that is the spirit that we needed when we sought salvation. And that's the spirit that God must work in those for whom we have come to pray for tonight. That they might be brought to an end of themselves. And to that place where they're not desiring to hold on to their own ideas any longer. The puny arms of rebellion are thrown down in place of subjection to God's way and to what God wants them to do. Need to be brought to that place, my woman. So there's a little of the meaning. What about the men? Have there any made reference to Moses to be a man who was meek? But you know, that wasn't something that he always had. 
In his early days, Moses displayed a self-sufficient attitude. One who was self-willed. Do you remember that time where seeing the Hebrew uh, rising up, the Egyptian rising up against the Hebrew, and he went and he smote that Egyptian, thinking that his own people would understand that God had sent them to deliver them. Of course, they didn't understand it. Another 40 years. In the backside of the desert, minding sheep. For God to subdue that natural spirit and to endue him with the spirit of meekness. Whereby when he came to stand before the burning bush, he was ready for the call of God in his life. And to submit to God's way and to God's will. You think of Abram. Remember how the lots men, the herdsmen of Abram and Lot fell out? And Abraham, the senior, and the man that had the call of God to leave heir of the Chaldees behind, Lot didn't have that. He tagged along. But Abram said to Lot, Well, you choose first. I'm paraphrasing, of course. You choose the part of land to which you want to go with your herdsmen. Splenda. You see, Abram knew that his inheritance was secure because it was in the Lord. It didn't matter where that went. God told Abram, all the land will be thine and thine inheritance. And then there's Joseph. And Joseph, who when he became, we might say, prime minister, You know the, the marvelous thing? He didn't take revenge on Potiphar's wife. That woman who accused him falsely of a moral axe that got him through into the dungeon for two years didn't rise up against her. Don't read of it. When his brothers came, he had the power to refuse them food. He had the power to refuse to help them. Remembering what they had done. The world says, Oh, Joseph, let's get even here. He had the power to punish them, but he refused to do either. You see, he has a power under control. And therein we can see how God sometimes has to deal with us. God can send the afflictions and he can send the trials. He can unveil and uncover our self-reliance. And he does so that the spirit of meekness may be developed in our character. And when he does this, then we can be usable in his service as those men were. And those who can show forth his glory before others. Meekness will mean being submissive to God's will. It was so with Eli. I brought you there to 1 Samuel. Well, you go back a few chapters to... 1 Samuel chapter 3. Eli was to hear of the judgment of God coming on his family. Young Samuel didn't hold back. Young Samuel was faithful to all that God had told him. His sons were about to perish for their sins. Yet it was in the mixed spirit that Eli received that message. Look at verse 18. Samuel told him every wit. Everything. Hid nothing from him. And he said... It is the Lord. 
Let him do what seemeth him good. There's the meek spirit. Same is found in Christ. And he cried, not my will, but thine be done. And this is how the Lord was to teach his disciples how to pray. In that what is known as the Lord's Prayer, that exemplary prayer, if you like. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You stop and think of that. How is God's will done in heaven? It's done instantly. It's done completely. Perfectly. It's done joyfully. And you pray that, you're praying that our desire should be that God's will on earth will be done exactly the same way. Of course, one day it will prophetically. But there are other ways in which meekness is illustrated and seen. One is meekness. One who has it knows that he has a God who's on the throne. He knows that God is in control of all things. You know, one of the hardest things to take, men and women, is when hurt is caused by another person. And oftentimes that hurt is caused by something that's near and dear. It's not usually a stranger. You can nearly take it better from a stranger. But when it's someone who's near and dear and they, they cause you hurt, then the most natural reaction is to be revengeful. To get even, to get back at them. The spirit of meekness looks beyond that to God. God who permitted that hurt. God who allowed that to to happen for a purpose. And oftentimes the problem is, you see, we don't know the purpose when it takes place. Again, I want to (coughs) illustrate that with David. 2 Samuel chapter 16. He's king. Verse 5. When King David came to Bahurim, behold, thence came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gerah. He came forth and cursed still as he came. And he cast stones at David and all, all the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand. And on his left, look at verse 9. Then said Abishai, the son of Zerah, unto the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over, I pray thee, and take off his head. He meant business. He, he, he wasn't afraid. He says, King, just give me the word and I'll be over there. Imagine that dead dog cursing the king. The king said, verse 10, What have I to do with you, ye sons of Zerah? So let him curse, because the Lord has said unto him, Curse David. Who shall then say, Wherefore hast thou done so? Meekness. But David recognized that it was permitted by God. God didn't. Tell him to sin. That's not the reason. That's not the thinking there. But he permitted this this man to sin, to come against David in such a manner. And so, therefore, who was David to stand against such a purpose? Meekness works upon us, not to have a hasty anger. Ecclesiastes seven and words of verse nine: Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry. For anger resteth in the bosom of fools. 
Are we not prone sometimes to make hasty, angry, better responses? And instead, it would be better for us to seek the Lord as to how we should deal with any given situation. That's surely what we would desire from others. And you know, that's what Paul brings out to the believers in Titus. Titus chapter 3, in the opening verses, it simply says, Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. Why? For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, and hating one another. And by inference, that's what those whom he's speaking about in verse 1 can be. He says, show all meekness unto all men. He's saying, treat others with meekness because you once were as guilty a sinner as they. And God saved you by his grace. Is that the spirit that has found more and more in us? Let me turn you back to the psalm, Psalm 37. I'm sure it is a psalm that you have often read. And I know I've brought you to various passages tonight, men and women, but it is to to build up the picture of what the Saviour is teaching here. What meekness is all about. Psalm 37. And by the way, that's where this beatitude comes from. For if you have a margin in your Bible, you'll see against Matthew 5, verse 5, Psalm 37, verse 11. Look at the verse. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The psalmist is going through a hard time here. The enemies are slandering him. The enemies even are are attempting to kill him. Put an end to his life. What's the right attitude to have? They get even. The meek centers their attention, you see, not on the enemy. Not even on circumstances. But on the Lord. You follow this. Verse 1. Fret not thyself because of evildoers. Neither be thy envious against the workers of iniquity. That's a good word for Ulster. Don't fret yourself. They've got to stand before God one day. Verse 3. Trust in the Lord. Do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land. Verily thou shalt be fed. Verse 4. Delight thyself also in the Lord. Verse 5, commit thy way unto the Lord. See how it's all centered on the Lord. Verse 7, rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way. Because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. It's all centered on the Lord. It's not on the enemy. It's not on circumstances. Meekness is not 
spreading another believer's sin or fall or misfortune. It's summed up in Galatians 6 and 1. Brethren, Paul's writing to the people of God again. If a man be overtaken on a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an a one in the spirit of meekness. Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Can I paraphrase it? Someone falls, a believer falls, you don't get on the Facebook. Used to be the blower, used to be the telephone, but now it's Facebook, now it's social media. And listen, men and women, that's how the world deals with things. We've seen it not too long ago with one of the shops. Try to cause a furor in the social media platform instead of talking to one of us. Paul says, Ye which are spiritual. So that asks the question, am I spiritual or not? Restore such an one. Yeah, the word restore. That word restore is a word which means to set a bone that's broken. Brings you into the A&E in Craig Avon. When you're there, not too good at setting bones. Didn't used to be anyway. Restore such a one. You know how the bone has to be set in place and has to be fitted right. Considering thyself. Do it in the spirit of meekness, he says. Considering thyself, lest I also be tempted. You're not beyond falling either, he's saying. That's how discipline is administered in the church as well, you know. The eldership sees before God that a man and a membership, a woman and a membership needs to be disciplined. It is with a view to restore them now. To restoring them. In other words, it's all for our good. How do we witness to the unconverted, the unsaved, with a high hand approach? Peter says, 1 Peter 3, in the words of verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Power under control and fear. That's how we witness. Very quickly, you'll notice the promise as well. You'll see that this one, as the others, as a promise, blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. It's that which is prophetic. Here's a promise for the people of God. You know, JWs that will stand, well, they might be not standing your door these days, but you'll see them sit, sitting out and standing on the street with their little board. The JWs teach that outside the 144,000, all the rest of us will be inheriting the earth one day. But you know what the Lord says? The Lord says, It shall be the meek. Be the meek. We know from God's word that when Christ shall return, that we shall reign with him on the earth. That's something that the very angels in heaven sing about. 
Revelation 5 and 10. And has made us, unto us our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Only the meek shall inherit the earth. For this is the very evidence of God's grace in the soul. If the JW dies as they're living today, they'll not be there. They'll be in hell. But to say that the meek shall inherit the earth doesn't imply that we shall not inherit anything else. The believer shall also inherit heaven as well. The new heavens and the new earth. But can we not with these words also speak of the blessings now that we have in Christ? In Christ we're heirs of God, we're joint heirs with him. We are blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. It is that higher place of spiritual living where the child of God lives and in that sweet communion with his God. We need to be those who are enjoying the rich and the full blessings which God has purchased for us. (coughs) You know, to inherit something. Uh, and there's, there, there's a lot of talk, you know, about inheritance, but to inherit something usually means someone dies. And in this case, it's we who die. We die to self. That we might grow in meekness. With this I close, Second Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 10, it says, As sorrowful, Paul is writing to the believers, of course, Corinth, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich. Listen to this, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. Remember where we started tonight. The world loves power and it feels it has to ascend the ladder. And if you're if you have great riches and big houses and all the rest of it, then you've made it. Paul says, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. Why? Because we're in Christ. That's the difference. Have we not there for every incentive? Therefore, to make sure that we have on meekness as a garment. And the Apostle Paul exhorts that in Colossians 3 as well. Put on the meekness and all the other attributes. May God, by his Spirit, increase this grace in our hearts in these days. For his own name's sake.